Hey, this is Big Rev. Thanks for tuning in to Masterclass Theology, a weekly podcast where we study books of the Bible a verse at a time and apply it to our lives. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Let's rock. God, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for this text and what it has to, 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 to speak to us and to share with us and to teach us. And we thank you for your word, God, that your word is alive and active and your Holy Spirit uses your word to, to challenge us and to encourage us and to change us. And I just pray we would have ears to hear tonight and that we would, um, that we would give you glory by how, by how we respond to your word. We just pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now I'm going to do my mute dance. Here we go. There we go. Mute dance, mute dance. Okay. So we are in Hebrews 6, 1 to 20. And we start here tonight. This is Ash Wednesday. Um, I'm not, I am not Catholic or Lutheran. Um, Ash Wednesday is, um, uh, I have gotten ashes before and it's just, you know, it's, it's fine. Ash Wednesday is the beginning of the season of Lent. Um, uh, yes, in my recording. Yes, good question. Yes, I've seen, I'm seeing the little flashing red dot. Uh, Ash Wednesday is a, a time when we kind of remember, you know, from ashes we've come and from ashes we're going to return. It's, it's a time of humility. It's a time of, of perspective. It's a time of we remember our mortality and especially we repent. And so, um, like I said, I, I, I'm not Catholic. I didn't grow up Catholic. I didn't grow up in the high church or anything like that. But I can respect the idea of taking time to repent. There's something to be said about that. And, and for those people who actually do celebrate Lent, you know, they, they give things up. There's something about self-denial that is very Christ-like and repentance is always, always appropriate. And so that is something that's going to come up in our first few verses here, because we're going to have this kind of tense moment at the very beginning where the, the author of Hebrews is, he's kind of scolding, but he's also informing and he's also saying, okay, now we got to get past this. Okay, so there's just a lot going on in three little verses here. So here we go. Therefore, again, we're in chapter six. Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ. So we got to move beyond. It's like at some point, you know, we, we've taught you a foundation has been laid. But let's now get past that. I entitled this first portion Christianity 101. Any of you who've taken a college course, the entry level stuff is 101, 102, and 103. And then eventually the second year, you got the 200s and the 300s and the 400s. And eventually you get to the, the graduate level and you may have 600, 700, 800, 900 level classes. It's like you want to get past the 100. If you're taking 100 level classes and you're a junior or a senior, then what's going on there? And so therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity, not laying again the foundation. Okay, so like we've already laid the foundation. We don't need to lay it again. It's like we, we, we don't want to do that again. It's, like we've, it's not bad. It's all good stuff. But we want to start progressing to maturity. The goal here is to stop having to take milk all the time. But you're going to eventually get to the solid foods. And you're going to get you know, stuff that you chew. And if you're chewing your milk, it's been in the refrigerator far too long now. But we want to get to, 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 to the Christianity 201 and the 301. The four, we want you to mature. So what's going on here? So let's finish out these three verses. 
um, for uh, the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God, instruction about the cleansing rites or the also could be translated the baptisms, um, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, eternal judgment, and God permitting will do so. Now, some people look at this and say, the author of Hebrews is writing to Hebrew Christians. And so these are people who would look at this stuff and go, aha, we did some of that stuff back in our Jewish days. The baptisms, the kind of the ceremonial mikvah washings, um, the laying on of hands, you know, the, with the cleansing. We did all that kind of stuff as a Jew. And we're seeing its fulfillment in Christ, but we don't want to go back to that. Others would say, no, wait a minute. Um, the repentance, well, that's a very Christian thing. Uh, what are the acts that lead to death? Well, they're called sin. All sin leads to death. Sin that is unrepented of, sin that is unchecked, sin that is never dealt with. The wages of sin is death. If you're not repenting, you're on the highway to hell, as it were. It's like that, you, that sin, those are acts that lead to death. Okay, that's just not, I'm not being mean with that. But if you don't ever repent, if you never are repenting of your sin, then that sin is still on the books. Okay, and so that there, that's actually to this, so repentance. Instruction about cleansing rites, so baptism, uh, the laying on of hands. In the early church, a lot of times, um, that's how people, um, they use that to kind of like, you know, receive the Holy Spirit. Uh, it's like, okay, part of, part of your, they kind of use it in the earliest church, of, if what I read was correct, about how, kind of like how baptism is today, where baptism is a very public thing. And you're kind of using this baptism to kind of like pledge your allegiance to Christ and publicly saying, okay, here I am. And everyone's seeing me go under the water and come back up. And it's like a public kind of, you know, allegiance kind of thing. Well, the laying on of hands is more of a public thing as well. And say, like, here we are, you're a Christian. And here we are just kind of symbolically, you know, it, it, it's the Holy Spirit. And yeah, I mean, the, the, that's kind of how they, they, they did it. And so all these things, you're looking at this laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead. Huh. So we got things we got to know here. And there's something about, I'm pointing at my head, there's something about our right knowledge. You've got to know the things about the faith. You've got to know the certain things like admitting you're a sinner, believing that Jesus alone can save you from that sin, and then confessing and committing yourself to, to, to him. There's various things that you've just got to do. You have to understand the foundational stuff, the repentance. You have to understand what faith means. You have to understand, you know, about, about baptism and about, you know, the laying on the, laying on the hands. Res you've got to understand these things. But now the doing part, well, then you got to do it. You have to actually repent. And you follow in obedience by getting baptized. And so you have, you're a part of a community and that community interacts with you and that community helps you to grow. And the resurrection of the dead. Well, now we've got the doing, but then at the beginning and the end. You see, we kind of have the beginning of the faith journey and the beginning of anybody's faith journey as a Christian is repentance. At that point, you are, it's like it's a, to, to, you're turning from yourself and turning to Jesus. That repentance is the beginning of your faith journey. Up until that point, you haven't done anything. Up until that point, you haven't responded. It's like, you're just kind of like, oh, that's nice. That's great. Pass the Spumoni ice cream. It's like, yeah, nothing's really changed. All right. And, and, but when you've actually repented, you've said enough of me. I'm going to now deny me and I'm going to accept Jesus. 
You're following that leading of the Holy Spirit, working upon your heart, and you're turning from you and turning to, to Jesus. So that's the beginning, but the end? Well, what's the end? Well, someday we're all going to die. It's not something we, we relish, but the resurrection of the dead. You see, we sing because he lives, I, I now can face the future. It's like, because he lives, because Jesus did not stay dead, he resurrected. One day I will resurrect. One day that will happen for me. So you got the beginning of your faith journey, and you have more of the end of your faith journey, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment, this great judgment seat of Christ we talked about. It's like, yes, you've got this, the basics of the faith, how, how, how faith even begins, the end of, 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 your, of the end game of the human life and faith and in terms of like your death and your resurrection one day. And, and when, when the, that role is called up yonder, you know, like, like, yes, all of faith right there. Now that's great. But the author of Hebrews is like, yeah, we got that. Now what? We got to move forward. It can't just be head knowledge. It can't just be things that, okay, well, I did that. Now I'm good. Now I'll go back to having me time. No, we have to move forward. We have to mature in the faith. And he says, well, God permitting, we're going to do so. Do what? Move beyond. Actually build upon that foundation instead of playing with the foundation over and over again. Yeah. So we go to four to six and four, four to eight rather. And why knowledge isn't enough. And I got to confess to you, four to eight is not easy. But it's okay. We sometimes swim in the waters of heart. We can do it. Here we go. It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age, and who have fallen away. It's impossible for them to be brought back to repentance. To their loss, they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. Land that drinks in the rain often falling on it, and that produces a crop useful to those for whom it is farmed, receives the blessing of God. But land that produces thorns and thistles is worthless and is in danger of being cursed. In the end, it will be burned. Oh, my goodness. What do we do with that? It just sounds controversial, doesn't it? Well, we have the five here. What are the five? Well, there's five things here that the author of Hebrews is saying that this kind of individual he's talking about has participated in, um, had been enlightened. So like, that's kind of like um, what's in the Psalm, you know, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path or something about that. It's like, I've now had my path lit up. Is there something about, I have the darkness of me has now received light Okay, um, I mean, enlightened, have tasted the heavenly gift. And in this, in this context, the heavenly gift is not the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit's next. The heavenly gift is Jesus. Okay, tasted Jesus, shared in the Holy Spirit, number three, tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age. So we get this idea that in some of these preaching things they've been a part of, or the word of God has been preached, there had been some kind of a miraculous sign that has followed it. And again, we're talking about the apostolic era when that did happen, where there would be a sermon preached and all of a sudden people got healed or something like that, where that was like a, a, a regular or a semi-regular occurrence with the apostles ministry. It happened. And so, yeah, and um, who, uh, the goodness of the word of God, the powers of the coming age, those five things there. And wow. Now you could look at those. Well, let's just go to the two views. 
This is the Calvinism versus Arminianism here. The Arminians look at this and say, see, you can lose your salvation. Because look at these five things. That describes a Christian to me. I mean, look at those things. I mean, how much more Christian do you need? And now you can still fall away? So you better be on your guard, people. Because uh, you don't want to fall away from the faith and you could lose your salvation. And you know what? Danger will Robinson danger. That life is a big put up or shut up. And if you stop putting up, then you know what? You're toast. The Calvinists or more reformed side would say, no, hold on a second. We believe in the perseverance of the saints. We believe it when Jesus says that all those the father have given me, no one's going to take them out of my hand, which does imply you ain't taking yourself out of his hand. And then no one's going to snatch them out. And that once they're given to me, they're mine. And so we take that as a reform, as a reform theologian, we take that at face value. So we're looking at this and going, no, wait a minute. And the typical reform or Calvinistic standpoint is these people probably weren't Christians to begin with. And so I'm giving you those two, uh, and, and you know, Daniel texted in, um, uh, if you lose your salvation, did you ever really have it in the first place? That, that's a great question because uh, more of a, a reformed theologian would say, you know, you, you probably weren't saved. You, you, because once, once you have, once you have, it's like, we look at salvation as like, you know what? It's God's choice, not my choice. If salvation is all about me, I'm an idiot sometimes. And I'll choose one thing and I realize, oh man, I got to do this over here now. I, I can't believe I made that choice. I got to choose this one over here. And so maybe I chose wrong. And if it's all about me and my choice, and I am fallible, you can see how I could mess it up. But if salvation is more about God's choice, ain't nobody going to out-choose God. So they would look at this and say, well, um, who once have been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, okay, who have shared in the Holy Spirit. Um, I remember I was, um, I had a friend growing up who I'm sure my mom and dad would roll their eyes looking back at them. They rolled their eyes back then. I had this more charismatic friend and he would take me to these kind of, you know, very spiritual services where they would have these like baptism of the Holy Spirit. I remember one where it was like a slaying of the spirit and they got everybody on stage and had this, this guy in the suit come up there and he would chop the air by you like he was spiritually cutting some kind of a cable and all these people would fall over and they would just, they'd be slain in the spirit. They would just knock themselves over. And I remember sitting in the hot tub with my friend and saying, you know what, Joel, we're not going to leave here unless you know how to speak in tongues. You better start gibbering something. I'm like, you know, I don't know. I don't know. It was a really awkward thing. I think my mom and dad kind of warned me about this thing. Like, ah, oh, you probably don't want to go, but I'm even trying to be a friend. And I tasted the Holy Spirit to a degree with that. I didn't really get, I mean, but I could see how somebody could taste the spirit as it were and not really have it and not really have him, not really have something. I wasn't slain in the spirit or anything like that. I, I don't really believe any of that stuff. And as a kid, it, it didn't sit right with me either, but I was just trying to be a friend. And yeah, that more reformed theologian would look at this and go, well, um, who's tasted Jesus? Yeah, I, I know I've known people who talk a big game about Jesus and they don't live it. Uh, and who tasted the goodness of the word of God. Yeah, and people read God's word all the time. People love God's word. People have, can be changed by God's word because God's word has good things in it. But there's no fruit in their life. And so you could just see like, well, there's a tension here, but how could the one who God has chosen fall away? That doesn't make sense if somebody could not choose God there. Um, 
Mick texted it. In light of scripture as a whole, the best understanding of this is that there are those who have been very well exposed to Christian truth who, in light of the persecution of that time, the temptation was to stick with Judaism and return to the economic stability of Jewish community. That's why the earlier chapters made the case for Jesus's superiority over all things Jewish. That's wonderful. That's probably what it was. And, it got, and these people who were maybe making these professions, I don't know. I, I, I don't really know exactly how that unfolds. It just doesn't sit right with me as if salvation is about God's choice. If, if, if it's by grace you've been saved, not by works, and it's really God working in you, it's like that is about, all about God. Salvation is more about God, not about me. If it's all about me, well, then I could lose it all day long. Anal text around. It's difficult for us to wrap our minds around, probably because we aren't used to it. Possible. Uh, I want to bring in Simon and Judas. Can I read something about Simon? You might know him as Simon Magus. Um, he's or Simon the Sorcerer. He's in the Book of Acts. And before I do that, Mick texted it as a former Arminian myself. I'm telling that the burden of Scripture says salvation cannot be lost. I agree. And I'm looking at. And you know what? Let me help you with this. I'm on the side, like I've told you, I've shared with you many times, I'm a Reformed theologian, I'm more on the Reformed side, Reform is more Calvinistic, and it's like salvation is a matter of God, not me, and God's choice, and, and when God calls, I'm not, hanging, I'm, not, I'm not hanging up the phone or putting God on hold or anything like that, when God calls, you answer, and but I want to look at a couple characters here, Judas is the obvious one, Judas is like, well, this dude, who tasted Jesus more than Judas did, who was enlightened more than Judas was? Who saw the miracles more than Judas did? Okay, there were, there were 11 of those guys, 12 of those guys. He was walking for three years with a daily Jesus hookup right there. At any, at any moment in time, he could go to Jesus like, so Jesus, about this. Jesus, you're the best. Jesus, this, this. I mean, and then he still fell away. I'm just saying, I realize he was the one, you know, destined for perdition. I mean, Satan is involved. I understand, but he's a good illustration of somebody who could fall away. What about Simon? Now, for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great, and all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, this man is rightly called the great power of God. Oh, this isn't going to end well for the man. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. But when they believed Philip, as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized. And he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them. See, I told you they were placing their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. See, that's what they did. Okay, here we go. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, give me also this ability. He's not saying, give me the Holy Spirit. He's saying, give me the powerful hands. I want to be able to do this. I got money to be made here. Give me this ability as well. So that everyone on whom I lay my hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter answered, may your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry. 
because your heart is not right before God. No, wait a minute, Joel. Didn't he say he believed and then he was baptized? Isn't that how people get to become Christians? You see, you can do the right things. You can say the right things. You can be part of the right things. And you can confuse a lot of people. But your heart, your heart's not there. And that's terrifying. I can see somebody saying all, all these five things and they can just check it off. Yep, 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 boom. I'm in, I'm in. But your heart? You know, scripture says, love the Lord your God with all your heart. Not just a part of your heart, all your heart. And so, I don't think we'll see Simon Magus in heaven. Unless things, I know he, he says here, pray, um, I see you're full of bitterness and captive to sin. Simon answered, pray the Lord for me so that nothing you have said may happen to me. The next verse doesn't say, and Peter said, okay, let's pray. No, he doesn't. They just get out of there. Ah, you know, it's like a similar encounter with Ananias and Sapphira, but they just died. I mean, it was, if your heart's not in it, what good is all the other things? So we have here the full-on presence of the Holy Spirit. You know, we got enough chats coming out. I'm missing one here. Pardon me. I got a, you know what, waiting room. I love you. I'm going to get ready here for a second. Move up there. Okay. One second. One second. This is from Daniel, the full-on presence of the Holy Spirit, much like the full presence of God the Father and God the Son. We as feeble human beings don't necessarily have the comprehension to understand such things. Uh, Mick texts in a bunch of great verses, John 6, John 10, Romans 8, especially 8, 28, 28, 39, Ephesians 1, 1 John 5, and many, many more. Uh, talking about our salvation. Yeah, um, let's see. Randy texts in, personally, I'd give Simon the benefit of the doubt. He didn't understand what he was asking for. And right, he was he asked for prayer and, and about his attitude. Okay. You're a little bit nicer than I am on that. Fair enough. Um, you know, pray for my faith there. God created all that money, every precious metal, every rare gem. God created all of them. Okay. Romans 8.39, Mick texts in, nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Yeah. Randy texting, you got to love Peter's response to uh I'll clean it up a bit to heck with you, with your, uh, you and your money. That's right. It's kind of like a John Wayne kind of moment. So we've got uh, the, uh, why knowledge isn't enough. Yeah. You could argue Pharaoh here too, because Pharaoh was just, he was hardened of heart. See, that's what this is. The person who could take in all these Jesus things and maybe make some kind of public profession, but fall away. They remind me of the Pharisees who committed the unpardonable sin with hardness of heart. And so, I mean, you can understand if this person has all these things and they're literally face to face with Christ-like faith and then they fall away, but there's no more chance for them to repent. Isn't that harsh, Joel? I mean, author of Hebrews, what are you talking about there? Think about it in terms of the Pharisees. When they committed the unpardonable sin, it was unpardonable because they never would ever consider repenting. They were so far gone, they saw Jesus driving out of a demon by power of the Holy Spirit and saying, that is Satan. Look how far gone a person would have to be where Jesus is like, there's no more repentance anymore. You're done. And he encapsulated that with, that sin can't be forgiven. Not that you're going to ask for forgiveness anyway, but it's like, there's no more repentance anymore. At that point, you're making a mockery of everything. And honestly, you probably don't care. The Pharisees didn't give a rip. They're like, yeah, whatever. I'll give you your unpardonable sin. Go take two. It doesn't matter. 
Like they didn't care at all. So there's no more repentance anymore. If you're going to be that way, if you're going to be that hard of heart, you've got no shot. Hardness of heart is, it's a different thing if you were broken and repentant. And there's always hope for the broken, repentant soul. But if you're hardened, you're not going to repent. Just remember, on your own, you will never choose Jesus, ever. That's why Ephesians 2 is clear. We were dead in our sins. We were corpses. We were done. But God breathed that life into us. It wasn't like I just had to take my little medicine. I was sick and almost dead. And, and I took my medicine and again, now I'm alive again. Now God's going to have to take me. No, no, you were dead. On your own, you will never choose God. Ever, ever, ever. You will always choose you every time. Any act of faith is prompted by the Holy Spirit. And so once you are at that point where you're just completely hardened, there's nothing left. There's no repentance anymore. It's done. And that's why he's being harsh here. And so, yeah, the Pharaoh sees. Yeah, that's, that's a good play on words here. Pharaoh was hardened of heart. And he, in so many words, Mick texted in, the author of Hebrews is preaching to prevent apostasy from those who are close but not there. In the end, the almost made it means the ones that didn't make it, they are lost dead. Yeah, because this, this is the big danger here of the yeah, but. At some point, the yeah, but, remember the yeah, but, our three students, the, the yeah, but, the, the weary and the clay. At some point, the yeah, but has to poop or get off the pot. Because this is the moment where it's going to get him. If his yeah, but is going to lead to hardness of heart, it's like the, at some point, you've got you've to get off the foundation. You've got to move on. You've got to move forward in your faith. As, there's a real danger here for the yeah, but. The one who always has excuses. I would believe you, God. I would follow you, God. But I would make that right choice, God. But I would repent. But I don't really want to repent. I want to have fun and say the right words. That was me. I know that, yeah, but really well. There was a danger with that, yeah, but. Yeah, but is in big danger here. We cannot live that way. There's no more excuses. There's no more rationalization. There's no more, well, I would, but no, no that's, that's got to be done. The author of Hebrews is saying, you know, we, we, we played this game long enough. And like other you know, texts is coming in, it's like the temptation is to, to go back to Judaism. The temptation is to go back to what seems natural and what seems like you're used to it or whatever it is. The temptation is to do anything else. You can't do that. We have to move forward. Why do we have to move forward? Well, the next section here is going to give us an idea. Um, what faith looks like, 9 to 12. Even though we speak like this, dear friend, he knows he was being hard. The author of Hebrews know he was bringing, he knows he was bringing it hard there. But even though we speak like this, dear friends, we are convinced of better things in your case. Okay, all right. He's just warning them. He's letting them know, hey, you're not the yeah, but, but don't go back to that. The things that have to do with salvation, God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. We want each of you to show the same diligence to the very end so that what you hope for may be fully realized. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. Well, what does faith look like? 
Well, it starts with some reassurance. Okay, reassurance is not faith, but he starts with some reassurance here. He's letting them know, he's like, he realized he just set the whole room on fire. He's hosing it down a little bit, put some of the flames out. Okay, I'm, I, I said some hard stuff there, but let me reassure you, my brothers and sisters, that you're doing some good things. He gave them, giving them an attaboy and an girl, letting them know, hey, you're doing good things. This is good. Stay the course, keep doing the good work. And now faith is diligence. You know, God is not unjust, verse 10. He will not forget your work. Good job, good job. You've helped his people and you continue to help them. Here we go, verse 11. We want each of you to show the same diligence to the very end. What is faith? An author put it, faith is a long obedience in the same direction. It's like, just keep at it. Every day you're making these choices. A diligent person stays at it. A diligent person keeps going. The next day, keep going. Make the decision again. Make the decision again. That is diligence. Diligence doesn't just quit. Diligence doesn't veer off course. If they have veered off course, they correct course. And it's like diligence stays at it to the end. That's faith. And you see, when you're up against the Roman Empire, I mean, shoot, we're up against cancel culture right now, where you don't dare speak out too much, or maybe you're going to lose your social media. You, we have this world right now where we don't even know we have freedom of speech anymore. What's life all about when at any point in time, Rome could have had enough of you and Rome could have started persecuting you? Now, thankfully, from what we understand, the Christians in this letter weren't facing that. They were being more discouraged. They were, being, they were going through some hard stuff, but they weren't going through like other churches had to go through. They just weren't being heavily, heavily martyred, persecuted, that kind of stuff. But, but seriously, diligence stays the course. I mean, you're never going to lose weight if you're not diligent. You're never going to see major goals met if you don't stay at it. You're never going to see this happen in your life if you don't if you don't stay at it and keep going every day. Diligence stays. It's, there's there's duty, there's devotion, and discipline. You stay at it. That's diligence. And faith is maintained. Faith is practiced daily. Uh, diligence and then hope. Huh? What's the faith all about? Well. So that what you hope for may be fully realized. Hope. Ah, hope. We're going to talk more about hope today. But being able to realize your hope. What is that about? Well, I hope I get to go to heaven one day. Now, you're, it's like you're not earning that, but you're staying the course. So that one day you'll see that. It's like one day you're looking forward to that and God's going to, God's going to take you home. The things you hope for, you pray for. See, faith has hope. Hope is huge. Hope is, is, is seeing things you don't quite have yet, but you know God's going to provide. Mick texted in, Christians and Jews were under Roman heat, but Christians were also under Jewish heat. This pressure from all sides is probably why those Jews that were considering Christianity were tempted by economic and status and idol uh, one places confidence in any one of those instead of committing to Jesus. Yes, hope is the faith we hold on to, the faith in God's promise to us. Yes, thank you, Daniel. Hope, diligence, and hope, and imitating. Yeah, um, if you have ever have hope of being a, a more dedicated Christian, a growing Christian, you need to be a two-year-old. This is not faith like a child. This is faith like a little kid. Every time daddy says a word he shouldn't say, it's repeated a million times. That's just the kids see daddy saying that and go, oh, yeah, now I can say that. And they do, and then daddy feels really terrible. 
But I got to tell you, I I had this quarantine practice of, of asking my kids for forgiveness when I when I was a bonehead. And it's really cool to see them asking each other for forgiveness. You know, sometimes you can imitate the right things. You're always imitating somebody. I don't care who you are or how old you are. You're imitating somebody. You have some example. You're imitating somebody. So as a Christian, who are you imitating? In the text here, uh, we do not want you to become lazy, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. See, there's some really good examples out there. Be imitators of them. You know, Ephesians talks about being imitators of God. It's like, be like little toddlers. Be like daddy. It's like, mimic those things. Yes, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those are things you should be mimicking and imitating. Yes, 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 yes. All right. Inheritance. Yeah, there's an inheritance waiting for us. It's been promised. And we're going to hear more about this when we get to the Hall of Fame chapter later on in Hebrews. There's going to be some people like Abraham who aren't even going to see, they're just going to see it from afar. They're going to wave at it. They're not going to get it. Not yet. And they're going to die seeing it, seeing it coming to pass, but not seeing it in the flesh. That's faith right there. Well, that's a faith that waits. Yeah. When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself. God said, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so after patiently waiting, Abraham received what was promised. What? Abraham received many descendants? Well, Abraham took God at his word, number one, and he believed Abraham. In fact, Scripture says it was, it was like reckoned to him as righteousness. He, he heard God and he believed God. He took God at his word and, and waits. We talked about this in our David series, you know, uh, last year. Waiting involves your walk, it involves your attitude, it involves your intellect and your trust. The way you live, the, the way you are, the way you think, and, and, the how, and, and then, then how you continue to be. The way you live this life, the attitude you have. So it's W-A-I-T, there's an acronym there. This is waiting. And patience. Abraham had to be patient. Now, I want to give you these numbers real quick. Did Abraham receive what was promised, author of Hebrews? Is that really true? He actually did. Because was the child of the promise Isaac? No, not really. Was the child of the promise, like in an ultimate sense? Who was it? It was Jacob. Because after Jacob, Jacob had the 12 sons, and they became the 12 tribes of Israel, and we begin to see the exponential you know, multiplication there. All right, so did Abraham meet Jacob? Well, I don't know. Scripture doesn't say. Did Abraham ever meet Jacob? Huh. Because that would, that would mean the author of Hebrews, is he right? I mean, did he see that? Let me give you these numbers. Genesis 21. Abraham was 100 years old when Isaac was born, right? He's 100. So that's Isaac. That's Jacob's daddy, right? Abraham was 175 years old when he died. So we got a 75-year window there. Isaac is born, and now Abraham's dead. Isaac, that's Genesis 25. Now, later in Genesis 25, it says Isaac was 60 years old when Jacob was born. 
That's a 15-year window. And the text didn't say they went anywhere big. That's a 15-year window where Abraham had access to his promised grandson, Jacob. Abraham saw the promise, and that promise was going to continue. You see, God spoke to Abraham about a son and about an offspring and about a nation to flow from him. God also said the similar words, similar promise to Isaac, and that was then Jacob. And he said it again to Jacob. You see, Abraham saw Jacob. He had 15 years where he had access to Jacob. It's a faith that waits. You see, the weary are comforted and challenged here. The weary are ones who are forced to wait, who are forced to sit there and go, oh, gosh, God, I wish you would just come and take care of this because I don't want to deal with this. Part of the weary is kind of like a coward. They don't really want to deal with something. They're also very tired. They're, they're just tired of dealing with things, and they want the, you know, the young bloods to come in and take care of things for them. Um, yeah, I just, there's, a, there's, a, there's an encouragement here for the weary, because remember, Jesus says, come all you who are weary. Okay, I'll give you rest. It's like, okay, the weary are never pushed away, but they're challenged here. Don't give up. Stay the course. We're still moving forward in the faith. We're not going to give up. I know life around us sucks. I know it's like we're weary today, especially after this very exhausting election cycle and all the stuff now. We're like, oh, gosh, we're, we're tired. We're weary. And it takes a lot of effort now to stay encouraged. We were sapped out by the COVID-19 year and how it continues on and the masks and all that. Kind of, we're, we're, just, we're just exhausted. Stay the course. Stay encouraged. Continue. Don't give up. The yeah, but has some danger. The weary, the weary has some hope. Have hope, weary. Be comforted and, 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 and take the challenge here. And we got to close this out here with 16 to 20. Take, take stock. We have Christianity 101, why knowledge isn't enough. Let me scroll the page down here so we have this. All right, come on, page. Move you up, move you down. Okay. Take stock, 16 to 20. 16 to 20 is some of the sweetest words of scripture. It's great. People swear by something greater than themselves, and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument. You see this in the courtroom. Raise your right hand, put your left hand on the Bible, and now swear. You know, you get yourself notarized. Okay, you got to get a document on something, and then the notary says, okay, raise your right hand, and this is who you are. It's like God's before the notary right here. Here we go. God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what he promised. It's like God's going to go the extra mile here. And who's God going to swear by? He can't say, well, by God, I got to say this. He, he's him. He is God. So what's he going to do? God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear. And by the way, that's not a small thing. Because if God changes, we're all screwed. If God changes, we have no hope because then God can say this thing one day and oops, I've changed and now he's over here and we don't know what the heck to do. No, God has an unchanging nature. He wants to remind us of that. Okay. He confirmed it with an oath. God did this so by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. What two unchangeable things? A promise and an oath. Neither are changing. God is like before, before the notary. It's like once you are taking the oath, it's like at that point, it is real. 
If you lie, it's perjury. If you lie, you face jail time or contempt. It's like once you take that oath, it all has gotten real. So God's taking an oath. God's like, what do I got to do to convince you? You want me to take an oath? Let's take this oath. Here we go. I'm going to give you a promise, and now I'm going to confirm it with an oath because I don't change, and I'm God, and this is what I'm going to say, and I want you to hold fast to me. All right? God before the notary, fleeing and taking hold. Yeah. God did this so that by two unchangeable things, which is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope. What have you fled? I hope you fled things like self. Well, if I just love myself more, well, if I just focus on myself and what I can accomplish myself, self, 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 forgive myself, love myself, self-esteem. If I just focus on me, I'll find me and all will be good. No, no, you got to flee me. You got to get out of there. That can't be your room anymore. Because as the more it's about you, the more it's going to be about you and your sin and your idolatry to yourself. We, you, you, you have no hope. If, if life is all about you, you're not, you're not taking hold of anything. You're just kind of like, well, look, it's me. Here I am. Isn't it great? Look what I accomplished. And then, oh, great. Well, where's, the, where's the shelf life there? That's not going anywhere. To flee, to take hold of the hope set before us, it would be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. Well, isn't that sweet? Oh, but look at this. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. Oh, snap. That hope is Jesus. He tore that curtain in half. He died. It's like all of a sudden the dwelling of God can be with man. All of a sudden Emmanuel is real. Oh, my goodness. That hope is Jesus. Wow. Okay. But if I'm going to follow after Jesus, I've got to first deny myself. You see, secular humanism fails you right here. You cannot be a humanist and be a Christian. Because if you're a humanist, at the end of the day, you are what matters most. As a Christian, at the end of the day, Jesus matters most. Big dichotomy there. So what are you fleeing and what are you taking hold of? Who are you taking hold of? Firm and secure. I got to tell you, I had a rough day at sea. Um, I don't mean that metaphorically. I mean that I'm, I'm as a cruise. I've used this illustration before. We were in the Mediterranean, really calm waters until it wasn't. It was rough. It's like um, Monte Carlo to Barcelona, the last day of sea. It was so bad. I was laying in my bed in the berth. Jennifer was up. You know, we we, we were married at the time, and she was she was up. It was the last day at seas. So we had to get everything packed up, and she was up. You know, putting things in bags, and you had to get the bags outside the door. You know, and they come and pick them up for you. And I was in the fetal position, as much as a guy my size can lay in the fetal position. I was sitting there holding on for dear life on the bed because the the pitch and the yaw and the roll. It's like that, that hymn, when sorrows like sea billows roll, I felt those sea billows rolling and it just really worked me over. And I just, I just wanted anything, anything to have an anchor, to have this anchor moment where I can just, and have all the, the moving and, and the, the seasickness just stop. It was the most uncomfortable I think I've ever been in my entire life. Horrible. I would have given anything for an anchor. Just stop moving. 
just to stop moving, something firm, something secure, boom. That's what our hope is. You see, our hope is not in anything nebulous. Our hope is not in something, well, you know what? God bless him. It's going to come through, we hope. No. Our hope is Jesus, who's already died, who's already been resurrected, who's already ascended to heaven, and who's now in the presence of the Ancient of Days behind the curtain of that holiest of holies. He's there. He's sitting down. It's done. It is finished, and it is secure as anything possibly could ever be secure. We go through crap in this life. We go through struggles. We go through trials. We go through all these things. We have that as an anchor. He is king of kings. He's there. He's in heaven and he's seated. It's good. We're on his team. He is the one that paid my debt. See, if I paid my debt, who cares? Just move the goalposts and it changes. But he did. You see, our hope has entered heaven. It has entered the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever, the order of Melchizedek, not the order of Aaron because Aaron died and all of Aaron's kids died. And then high priest, done. Melchizedek, this is a forever kind of thing. He is always our interceding high priest. That's a hope. Heavenly advocacy, yeah. How does the clay hope? We've heard from the yeah, but. We address the weary. What about the clay? Let's see. Daniel texts in, Jesus took our sins upon that cross and drank the wrath of God so we wouldn't have to. Amen. This is the reason Jesus told John and James they didn't fully understand the cup they'd be drinking from. Amen. The veil tore metaphorically and literally so that we could be in the presence of God the Father and not die. Yeah. It's just like the, 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 what divided us from, from the presence of God no longer did because Jesus was God in the flesh. And yeah, how the clay hope. So I put H-O-P-E. You can write this down if you want. It's up to you. Um, hope has a humility side of it. There's a basic humility to our hope. And that hope is, so like, for example, if our hope is, is based on the fact that Jesus is entering the heavenly realm and Jesus is there and Jesus is interceding for us and advocating for us, that's a great reminder that I'm not Jesus. I'm with Jesus, but he accomplished that. And so God accomplishes these things. God accomplishes my hope, not me. That's a very humbling thing. In a world that says, go west, young man, pull yourself up by your bootstraps and you can do it. And, you know, just keep going and you got it. It's like, it's like just keep working hard and, and you will eventually accomplish your dreams. No, not when it comes to this. God accomplishes. And so there's a, hum there's a humbling nature to our hope. It's not a crippling humility, but it's an appropriate humility. The O to hope is obedience. So there's a tension there. God, God, God is the one accomplishing things, but he still expects us to have, be faithful and live faithfully. He expects us to stay faithful to him, even though he's doing all the heavy lifting. He expects us to stay faithful. And we see this by the doctrine of progressive sanctification. We get to participate. We don't participate in our salvation, but we participate in our sanctification. We actually do participate in that. 
God expects us to be faithful. And as we are faithful, he, the Holy Spirit grows us and makes us more like Christ. He's the sovereign one. We're not. But we get to participate in that. It's great. The P is perspective. What's that have to do with anything? Well, what if you're like Abraham? And what if you're waiting? What if God's timing doesn't make sense? What if you're upset about that? What if it's hard to trust? What if you've been praying the same prayer for 40 years? My goodness, I've had MS for 20 years. And there's been a whole boatload of people praying for me. I myself have prayed for me. And God hasn't said yes. What do you do with moments like that? Where God's timing doesn't make sense. When your hope is like, well, I hope God, but and you're tempted to, yeah, but your hope. Perspective, timing and trust. And hope has eagerness. Stay eager. I had this, I had this time when I was younger where I didn't like eternity, where it made upset me, where I didn't like the concept of eternity because I like things coming to an end and eternity never came to an end and made me uncomfortable. And infinity made me uncomfortable because I like things coming to an end. It didn't make sense to me because like, well, when is it going to come to end? I'm used to having it be 3.30 and now the school days come to an end and we can finally go on to something else, which eventually is going to come to an end. And then we can go to something else, which eventually is going to come to an end. And this isn't going to come to an end. And it would make me uncomfortable. I was a kid. It no longer makes me uncomfortable. But I wasn't eager. There was something about that that made us. And another way is, is some people are like, well, I want Jesus to come, but I've got a lot of things I still want to do. Please come, Lord. Just don't come yet. You hear how corny that sounds? I've been there. I need to have kids first, God. I need to see those kids graduate, God. I need to have grandkids, God. I need to have this, God. I need a better job, God. I need this, God. Don't come yet. Let me have a little bit more. How eager are you? Let me see. Our hope is tied up in those things. I, I want to close with really weird examples. This one I should have used earlier, but I forgot. I even put a note to do it. I'm trying to think of like an illustration for the person who um, would kind of say all the right things, but ended up being just a joke. And like withholding, you know, walking away from the faith and not able to repent anymore. I feel, I feel for a Facebook ad. And we were having this time where it was in the summer and we wanted our son to yeah, he would just finish second grade, going into third grade. We wanted him to do this workbook. And this workbook was all third grade stuff. We figured, well, if, he, if, he, if he's able to do this third grade workbook, he's, third grade is going to be a blast. You know, and he'll, he'll, he'll be able to knock it out. Well, he didn't want to do the workbook. He was in summer vacation. We didn't, he didn't want to do his math and his division and that kind of thing. And uh, he's a brilliant kid. He, he, he could do it in his sleep, all this stuff. But he just didn't want to do it. We were constantly, come on, come on, come on. And I had to promise him, okay, you do this workbook. And at the end of the summer, you and I are going to do a Lego kit, a big Lego kit. Okay. Big promise. And I found on Facebook, it's like Facebook knew. I swear they were listening in or something. All of a sudden I saw an ad for the Lego kit I wanted. Drastically reduced. And I jumped at it. And I paid. In fact, in fact, 
it was a double kick because I, I was able to get, you know, the Star Wars one I wanted and, you know, the little princess Lego kit for, for, for uh, my daughter. I'm like, all right, well, there's a go two for one here. And so anyway, I ordered this and I come to find out, you know, it's, it's coming from China. So it's going to be a long way to get in or something like that. All right, fine, fine, fine. And so I get the email and we're trying to track it. I'm getting excited, getting excited. I was just ready to go. I'm like, yeah, everything was seemed legit. Everything was good. Everything was good. It was really cheap. That should have been my warning, but okay, okay, okay. It finally, the, the tracking says it's coming today. It got delivered. And I'm like, Ooh, is there a big box on the front porch? No, there's not. Oh my gosh. Well, what is on the front porch? Uh, well, there's a medium sized envelope on the front porch. What? And we go outside, I'm like, what is this? And, and, and Jen, Jen brought it in. I'm like, where is it? Where is it? Where is it? Well, it's on the table over there. On the table, I go over there and I see a bunch of Chinese letters on it. I'm like, what? Oh, God, what is this? And I open it up. It was a really expensive black silk scarf. Jennifer's like, what are you doing? What was this? Like, oh, you ordered this? Well, what is this all about? You've never ordered anything like this before. I'm like, oh, shut up. I know, I know, I messed up. I got taken for a ride. It wasn't Legos. It was, it's just a company that takes your money and gives you some other random thing. That's not what you wanted. You see, that's the person in four to eight where you think everything is legit. You think everything is just good. Everything is like up and up and straight in there. I think there it is. And then all of a sudden it just, it, it doesn't go through. And, and that's the kind of person that could walk away from a faith that I don't think they ever really had. What about hope? Well, I made another Facebook purchase, another Facebook ad. It was after Christmas. And um, well, before I get there, Mick texted and I love the imagery of the anchor for our souls with all the shifting and instability of the world around us. Let down from politics, the world, culture, prominent fallen Christians, even ourselves, it's awesome to know that we can trust in Jesus. Jesus alone offers stability no matter what waves and winds hit. Amen. I should have closed with that. But I got to share one more bozo story of mine. So Jennifer wanted, um, Christmas is over. We're packing up all of our stuff. She goes, you know what would be really great? To have one of those nativity scene things outside. You know, the ones that kind of look like a barn, but you kind of set them up and they just, they, they, they're not really a stable, but they're kind of, you set them up you know, this side, this side in the back and, and, and you can stick them in the ground. They kind of look kind of rustic. And I swear Facebook heard that conversation because I got a similar ad the very next day and I liked the price. I liked everything. And that's like, oh, but I'm not going to be taken for a ride again. And so they had a video. My, like, oh, they showed some girl putting it all together. I'm like, okay, good. We're good. We're good. Everything is great. And I waited and waited and I waited and it came in the mail and it's dinky. It is exactly what they described. But with clever camera work, it is everything just like a foot tall. When I thought I was gonna be like eight feet tall. Once again, I hoped, I hoped, I hoped, I hoped, I hoped. And what came wasn't what I was expecting. What came was very disappointing. What came was just a bunch of bogusness. And that's a word I'll just make up right now, bogusness. That hope is misplaced. I was excited about that. I was going to be, in the first example, I was going to be a great daddy. And I was looking forward to that. Like, yeah, yeah, here I, I got a good deal. And this one, I was going to be a great husband. Yeah, look at this. Yeah, look what I found for you. And she's like, what's this? Is it like a nativity set for like, you know, GI Joes or like a Barbie or something? What is this? Yeah, 
Let's just go back to mixed words. The anchor for our souls. With all the shifting and instability of the world around us, let downs from politics, the world, culture, prominent fallen Christians, even ourselves, it is awesome to know that we can trust in Jesus. Jesus alone, Jesus alone offers stability no other, no matter what waves and what winds hit. An anchor for our souls. When he is your anchor, the voyage makes a lot more sense. He's in heaven. We're voyaging towards him. We're building upon the foundation. We're moving forward. And when times get really rough, he's our anchor and our hope, all tied into one. Great text tonight. A little difficult, but it's a good time. God bless you. See you next week.